Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. It's a question everybody asks. It's the individual versus the group. Where do we stand? We got a fascinating guy coming on to talk about this. He's a Hollywood producer. You sure have seen his work. A. Darius Kamali. He's been in Hollywood for a couple of decades doing this, television documentaries, feature animations, and now he's in the world of publishing. He's got a couple of great books we're going to talk about that just been out, Mistake of Identity and Dog Whistling Dixie, Past the Grave. I love that name. <laughs> well, that's a nice intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, Darius, I find this fascinating because everybody talks about the individual's rights and so forth, but we're seeing a, a change in this country where a lot of our discussions and so forth are all about group-based things, and this kind of caught you. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is something that I've been thinking about basically my whole life. Um, If you look at my background, whether it's my ethnic background, my national background, I'm an immigrant from Iran. My family came here during the revolution. Um, Wasn't a fun time. (laughs) And, uh, of course, uh, my philosophy background uh, in terms of education. Uh, I've been thinking about these issues for a very long time, and, of course, working in Hollywood, I don't have to tell anyone that uh, it's it's basically group and identity obsessed at this point in our culture. Um, you know, I, I think the the groupist, uh, as I call it, game it's it's inevitable in a way. It's I would say it's even necessary, sometimes even you know psychologically or socially beneficial. Uh, you know, from a evolutionary psychology perspective, so long as we you know don't forget that it's essentially a game. Uh, uh, in sports, uh, you know, the analogy I like to sometimes give is the athlete doesn't forget that it's a game, even though he might be a, a, a Laker or a Yankee or whatever it might be. Right. When it comes down to race, though, or gender or nationality, uh, sexuality now, um, most have sort of forgotten that, that it shouldn't be their essential identity. Um, to paraphrase uh, one of the actual musings in Mistake of Identity, uh, one of my two books, uh, I see Western civilization's groupist games as being metaphorically uh, sort of as absurd as a game of musical chairs, and it's being played on the deck of a sinking ship. And so, you know, I don't see this getting any better unless there is, I see no political solution. There has to be a psychological, or if you, if you will, a spiritual solution. Uh, if we're going to get past it. Yeah, and I think it's essential because I think as we do that, you're right, everybody's splitting into groups, and you can see that. And I think in Hollywood, it's a great place where you see all that. So where do we go? I I, I kind of see it as an absence of, uh, it's kind of an absence of God. Is that kind of how you see it? You know, by God, I mean who everybody's a spiritual leader or so forth or whoever. We just don't have that, and consequently, these have sort of replaced that. You know, I think ultimately we are all essentially, I mean, you use the word God in Eastern so-called spirituality, they use the word Atman. Uh, if you want to go to, you know, the psychological tradition, I think the Jungian term would be something like collective unconscious. I think we're basically talking about the same thing here, using different terminology. But essentially that we are all essentially a soul, right? 
And if you didn't choose uh, the nation that you were born in or the gender, which none of us do, obviously, or the race, then uh, it's very problematic for it to be your fundamental identity. Um, there's got to be, even in our language, if I can throw this in, I think we intuitively, just through our grammar and syntax, realize that the fundamental self is different than those characteristics. And that's obvious in our use of language when we say, for example, I have a body. Uh, we don't say I am the body, we say I have, right? right? And we say I have a brain. We even go so far, we say I have a mind. We don't say I am the mind. And so the implication is, who is this I <laughs> that has these things, that is separate from these things? That, that, well, that I is exactly the same in you as it is in me. That's kind of the the, the basis of, uh, of of all this. And if you try to, you know, mystics have said this forever. This is not a new idea, obviously. But um, if you try to apply that to the world of uh, the practical world, the world of politics, then you get some very strange results. Sometimes the results seem like they're from the left. Sometimes they look like they're, they're solutions from the right, because I think it really transcends both those things. It really becomes deeper. A lot of people think it's, it begins and ends of politics, but this you've thought a lot about this, and this gets really deep into the way we define ourselves. And Are we sort of losing our own identities, do you think, as, as these groups are becoming more and more important? Do we sort of forget that we are who we are? Uh, to some extent, we have. I mean, uh, it, it, look, it, it's, it's, it's ingrained in us, right? I think uh, identity... Uh, you can look at it as a social construct, but I think it's deeper than that. I think uh, even prior to human beings' existence in the evolutionary chain, genes compete with each other, species compete with each other, and so belonging to a group is, a, is an important part of defining yourself against other groups is an important part of biology. So my solution is not to try and pretend that that doesn't exist. It does exist. But like many things that exist, um, we should also see it, the, the way that it can become problematic. Uh, you know, violence exists, right? Crime right. exists. But it doesn't mean that we can't say as a society this is something that we're going to use our institutions to fight against. And we're not quite there with this one. We're very schizophrenic as a culture, I would say. But so sometimes if, if, if it's presented the right way, as you and I are talking right now, it seems like an obvious truism. Right. But you put it another way, and someone says, you know, America first or Italy first, I don't want me to pick any nation. And so the question then becomes, if I don't know a person in Detroit, and I've never met them, and I don't know a person in Zimbabwe, I've never met them, why should they be valued differently? <laughs> you know, yeah. of, all else being equal, of course. Of course, one could be an astronaut, the other one could be a serial killer, but you know what I mean. Right, uh, exactly. If you don't know those basics. One thing you talk about, which I find interesting and kind of falls into this, is this is where political correctness fails. And the whole concept of political correctness, again, goes to pull that. Somebody, I always think the problem with political correctness is somebody has to decide what's politically correct. And that's the problem. Do one person's political correctness is somebody else's, uh, I don't know, something that they Absolutely. just don't believe. Look, uh, I agree with you. Uh, and by the way, uh, again, not to try to ride the fence here. Political correctness has become a term that's sort of used by the right, usually to, to describe the left. Uh, and that, I think that's, that's legitimate. Um, but both sides, uh, all sides, I should say, have their own politically correct 
issues or taboos or third rails, things that can't be touched, right? For the right, it might be the veterans or the flag or something right. like that. And for the left, it could be gender, right? Um, or sexuality, things that you're not supposed to talk about. And, you know, as, as I say in Mistake of Identity, nothing uh, that's uh, at all political can even approach being true. Because once an idea becomes ideology, it becomes calcified, right? Then, then you are sort of going along with it because that's what your team believes. That's what your side believes. Your ego becomes invested into the idea, and you're not just looking at it as, uh, as um, you know, two plus two equals four or five. It's now uh, part of the part of the narrative that your side has to keep up. Right? Yeah. And once you uh, get to that stage, it's very hard to communicate with people when, uh, you know, identity essentially, and, and I, uh, <laughs> I didn't mean this uh, originally as a pun, but now I, uh, I'm, I, I think maybe subconsciously I did, identity same, seems to trump all, right? <laughs> right, right, uh, right. Well, you know, one of the right. things I always think about is it's obvious in politics, but even in society, it's gotten to the point that there's like a laundry list of things that you have to believe if you're on the right or if you're in this group. And, and on the left, it's the exact opposite. You can't have one right on some and left on the other. And I'm using that term, but it could, it could fall to everything. Is that a, kind of what you're talking about, too, where you lose identity it becomes that somebody again, and it gets into the political correctness, decides what's okay and what's not, and you can't be a free thinker. You kind of lock yourself into one closet or the other. That's right. You know, that's right. I personally lost friends from junior high and childhood even these days because, you know, uh, I guess they didn't uh, consider me sufficiently uh, ideological, right, enough. Right. And I think that's happened to so many of us. Uh, there's hardly a family uh, around the nation that doesn't have someone in it, um, you know, who has had a, a problem with another family member based on politics these days to the point where, you know, they can't even sit around the Thanksgiving table, right? Uh, and, of course, with our media being completely bifurcated and with social media, uh, uh, obviously, basically what's happening is that people are self-censoring in a way, number one, mm -hmm. and they're also weeding out people who don't agree with them, number two. Yeah. So if you're on Facebook or Twitter, whatever the case may be, pretty soon the group that you have are, are people who are echoing what you believe. And you have begin to imagine that's, that's how everyone thinks. Right. So these thought bubbles, uh, this has always existed, of course, but it's just come to the fore, and it's so much more extreme, partly because of social media. It didn't start with social media. It's just exacer exacerbated it, I would say. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because the idea originally of social media was, wow, this is going to be this great uh, middle of the street where anybody can come up and say what they want and people can discuss it. And it's turned into exactly what you say where, it, nope, it's an echo chamber. I only want to hear from people that agree with me. And I think you, That's you right. hit on something. Uh, uh, the the anti-social media, right? It should be a more descriptive right. term for it. Yeah, there's not much uh, social about it these days. And like I said, I don't, I don't, I'm not a Luddite. I believe in technology, and I think it still has an enormous potential. There's so much information out there, but most people are not. You have to be actively searching it rather than having something come to you, right? It, you know, I, I worked for a search engine uh, some years back briefly. That was uh, The technology was sold to Google, and I remember... At that point, none of us really thought about the implications to the extent that it's become apparent now. But, um, you know, uh, now uh, we are realizing that when, when one person puts in a Google search, 
exact same search term, same spelling, if you do a Google search and I do, we will not get the same top results because the algorithm is looking at what they think we're interested in and biasing that. And so even when we're looking at to find basic facts about the world, you and I may not be seeing the same thing. Yeah. And that's a very scary thought, right? <laughs> it really is. So I got to ask you, I mean, you think about this a lot, and you also come from the world of film and television. Is there something that can be done to kind of, you're not going to change it exactly to where we want to see or the perfect world from an individual standpoint and so forth, but is there a way to kind of turn the road a bit so we're not quite so, uh, you know, instead of splitting, we're getting a little bit closer. Maybe there's, for somebody that wants it, there's a little more opportunity to uh, see what the other side thinks and kind of think about it without uh, having to fall into line one way or another. Well, there has to be, and, and I don't, there's, there's been plenty of essays written and technical solutions proposed. It's not that it's, uh, and, and like you said, no one is asking for some sort of utopian situation. We'll never have that. But can it be improved? Absolutely. The reason it, it isn't being is because the powers that be, and those are usually financial interests, uh, feel like uh, the model that they have now makes them more money. <laughs> the setting people against each other, uh, uh, you know, uh, makes more money for that company and making it more uh, sticky, as, a, as the terminology goes, or essentially using the fact that our, our brain gets, uh, releases some dopamine each time we get a like or whatever the case may be. Um, that is based on either a subscription model or, a, or an advertising model. That's what makes them money. And so the only way for that to happen is, is government going to step in and regulate this? You know, that has its own set of right. problems. Right. Are these companies going to uh, uh, change their model because they're good people? <laughs> uh, it's problematic, right? I think ultimately the solution really, as far as I'm concerned, the better solution, the ideal solution would be to train people uh, in the basics of reason and logic. You know, we don't teach logic, or uh, certainly not before the college level. It just doesn't exist in high school. Or I think it, even in elementary school we should teach that. We should teach the basic fallacies, right? How to, uh, how to formulate a, a valid and a sound argument. Well, I think you're really on to something, because there were a few liberal arts colleges at one time, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find them, but where they would teach strictly by the Socratic method and ask questions. And the idea was there wasn't a right or wrong answer, but you you were taught to think that way. I mean, that's, you know, law school is certainly like that. And now I think we're finding exactly the opposite, where not only are we being taught a particular philosophy, but also... If you don't go along with the philosophy in some places, it can really hurt you. You can, you can either flunk out or worse. That's exactly correct. I mean, that's correct across academia more than ever. And perhaps it always has been, but uh, I, I would say based on my experience, it, I, it seems to be worse. Uh, yeah, I think, I think if you teach children from an early age and an you know, age-appropriate version, of course, the basics of, of reasoning and critical thinking uh, which we're not in most schools, maybe some private schools, but certainly the public schools aren't doing anything close to that, uh, then you are, uh, to some extent, inoculating the children from being susceptible to this garbage. Uh, and that's probably the best way. Um, the, uh, rather than imagining that we can change uh, all the institutions out there, you can't get rid of all the potential harms, but you can inoculate people. And even that's not a perfect solution, of course, because we're more emotional beings than we are rational, right? Certainly it can, it can begin to improve the situation. I'm all for teaching 
critical thinking from an early age uh, in public schools. Right now, uh, you know, if you take philosophy or if you, like you mentioned, law, uh, obviously that it's uh, it's taught extensively. But unless you specialize in that, certainly not before the college level, it's it's not anything that's. Uh, and you know, there may be a reason for that. You know, to get conspiratorial about it. Again, the powers that be may not want the citizenry to be critical thinkers. They may want them just to be educated enough to run the machinery and sort of that's it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what it's funny because that's what George Carlin, who I think was actually a great yeah. philosopher as long as a comedian, he uh, used to talk about that. You know, they just want oh you to be God. able to do what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he absolutely did. And, you know, several others uh, these days in the in the comedy circuit, you know, the, the, the comedians seem to be our philosophers now, right? Yeah, right. And it's hard-pressed to find uh, somebody that, that, again, that can kind of think with an open mind. I mean, you know, that's why Dave Chappelle, it's amazing he gets such pushback. Uh, I think that's a free thinker, you know? He, he really is. You know, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of Carlin. I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle. I don't know if you saw his latest show yeah. on Netflix, uh, I forget the name of it, but the, the particularly controversial. One. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's the thing is to be able to see to say anything that you want to is sort of essential for civilization. You may be entirely wrong, you may be embarrassingly wrong, but um, the the notion that someone knows so much better than you that they can tell you what to think and what ideas are are allowed and what ideas are not. Well, how do they know? You know, they're human beings just like you are, right? They, you know, they're talking about deplatforming and censoring and so on and so forth. At the heart of all of that is a notion in someone's mind that they know better than you. Right. Well, the way to fight this, I think, are these two books. And I, before we go, I want to go into these <laughs> couple because I love what you're doing. You're not if they think that they're going to just get these books and they're going to be like, well, we're talking about here directly. You do it in a much more. Um, stimulating way to get people to it's just a way of thinking so let's talk about them first of all mistake of identity uh, again and i like the way you do this you prefer to do kind of uh short little uh pieces as opposed to one yeah. big long piece right yeah that's right uh, these books uh, you know the way i would describe them is somewhere between uh the postmodern tweet everyone is is used to short terse because of twitter and you know all these things these days but it actually, the tradition goes back to the 19th century, where people wrote in maybe aphoristic form. What's the expression? It might be Mark Twain. So many things are attributed to Mark Twain that are actually Mark Twain. But <laughs> if I could have made it any shorter, I would have, but I didn't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And so, yes, it's, it's been called poetry. I wouldn't even describe it as that. I would, I would really say, in fact, the subtitle of Mistake of Identity is Midnight Musings and Twisted Tweets on Postmodern Identity. And so... Uh, are they paradoxical? Yes. Uh, the book contradicts itself, and, and purposely so, because it depends on my mood, right? Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm not proposing in the books necessarily a, a theoretical solution, although I hinted some, but simply putting out the, the problem, right? And so they're short, um, uh, four or five or six-line aphoristic uh, uh, musings, I would call them. That's the term that I use. Depending on your personality type, again, this, this is what appeals to the individual. You can either sit there and, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to power through this thing and read the whole thing because you can't wait to turn the page. Or sometimes maybe you read one of these uh, little musings and, and step aside. Away. Yeah, and think about it a little and then pick it up again. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, I, it's I, what's I, different I, now, you know? That's right. You can pick it up and, and you can go back to it, right? 
Um, it's, uh, it's not uh, a narrative per se. It's short, little, digestible. I heard the word chewable, and I like that. <laughs> Maybe they are <laughs> some are more chewable than others, right? Because they can see. Uh, that's, a, that's a good way of describing it. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, for the attention span of the younger generation these days, I think it suits that. And I didn't set out with that intention, but uh, I, I would say during the pandemic, uh, that gave me the time to sort of concentrate on social media for a while and see what's going on out there. Yeah. And other than being totally appalled, <laughs> yeah. I also realized, you know, this is, this is the way I normally think and write. So it's a, I think it's a good fit. Concentrated yeah. bursts. Because, you know, at least people uh, can read those bursts. I, I think sometimes with social media, I don't know if you found it, where people aren't even reading the little article. They're just looking at the headline and making their comments off the headline. <laughs> which Absolutely, is yeah. No, they, they don't read the articles. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it doesn't fit the narrative or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so that sometimes, uh, similar to the concept of virtue signaling or vice signaling, whatever the case may be. And again, uh, I think both sides do this in their own way. I don't mean to uh, mm-hmm. entirely pick on the left in this case. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've again had people say that it, in, in parts of the book I may sound like I'm from the left, uh, I've even called a Marxist, but at the same time, some people say you sound like a crypto alt-right <laughs> person. So, you know, go figure. <laughs> well, no, you're exactly right. And that means you're really thinking, I think, because I've managed, uh, you know, when you talk politics, and that's why I, I love doing kind of the Vegas scene, because I just got so tired of politics, because consequently, depending on who you were interviewing, you knew beforehand what we were going to say and what we we're going to do. It was hard to get somebody to kind of really look at all sides of the uh, of the issue. So I think it's great. I know people from the libertarian side are screaming at you, Darius. They go, we love this because there's so many things. Well, I can say this, but I can't say that depending on who I'm talking to. Especially with the latest generation, even after um, uh, the millennials, uh, you know, something has happened in the educational system where the kids that are coming out of that system today, uh, you know, the term snowflake is, is used a lot, yeah. right? And I don't mean to, these are good kids, they're as good as they've ever been, right? But I think it has, we have grown up in a situation where there's a narrative that's pushed, and if you don't agree with that narrative, you're a bad person. And, and you know, so there's, there's always going to be the rebels out there, but you'd be surprised how much self-censorship people end up doing in order to... Uh, even on social media, if something you know is attacked, if it doesn't get the likes, then the next day you're going to go softer and try to, and you really have to consciously fight against that. Yeah. And all our media, of course, whether it's you know the cable news outlets, whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC, I think everyone would agree that very slowly, uh, like the proverbial frog that doesn't realize that it's being boiled in water because the temperature is being increased just one degree at a time have become entirely, entirely opinion-based. Exactly. And not just opinion, but literally telling you what you ought to think. So yeah. they don't have panels of people who disagree. They have panels of people who support, the choir, basically the choir, yeah. to what the host is saying. So and advocacy has replaced journalism. Advocacy, then. yeah. And, and there is a, there's room for that, but if that's where most people are going for their news, then, you know, we've got a problem. And yeah, you're right. I want to ask you one last thing. This is all fascinating stuff, and I think it really rears its ugly head in this idea of cancel culture. In Las Vegas, one of the big things was the football coach 
literally getting run out of town because of something he wrote, stupid as it was, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And it's like, if we're going to start going back into people's histories, we're going to have real problems because things change, you know. And, and, and it's almost like you're not allowed to evolve. You just have you have to be perfect from birth. And that's an impossibility. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't expect I'll be perfect even uh, at death, let alone. <laughs> but, uh, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Again, to paraphrase uh, Mark Twain poorly, uh, anybody who wants to cancel me, I wouldn't want not to be canceled by. You know. But uh, <laughs> um, but look, in all seriousness, the point of being an independent author uh, is that they really can't cancel you. Uh, not yet. They haven't found a way. You know, if people want to buy my book, and I'd be happy and grateful. Look, the, the more you try to suppress an idea, the more it'll end up popping up in the strangers to places, maybe in the middle of your own head. And so I don't think uh, even from the perspective of the want-to-be-canceller that, that that method really works. Ideas are out there, and people are bright enough uh, to know um, that uh, you, can't, you can't really crush an idea. You, you can deplatform someone, but they'll... Just like how it is happening now, if Twitter cancels, well, there will be another platform, an anti-Twitter, whatever the case may be. Ideas right. will out in the end, right? Well, you got to read these two books. It's Mistake of Identity, and then the other one is Dog Whistling Dixie, Past the Graveyard. Both great books. You're going to have a lot of fun with them. Mostly both available on Amazon. <laughs> right. I was going to say you get them on. You can get them on Amazon, and uh, I think you should because these are things that you can have fun with. If nothing else is going to get you to think, and I always feel better. Even if I disagree with the stuff, I always feel better. If, well, I hadn't thought of it that way, and it, it even helps. The, you know what we're talking about there. If you understand somebody else's viewpoint. It helps. It, it, maybe it reinforces yours, but at least you're doing it from a you, you've thought about it from all sides instead of what you were told. Absolutely. You know, suppressing ideas is like uh, trying not to think of that proverbial pink elephant. Uh, I mean, maybe it's doable, but uh, it takes a lot out of a person. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, uh, they're both available on Amazon, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I did too. And Darius, we have to have you on again. This was great. Thank you so much for being I with us. I love that. Thank you.